You're listening to The Dollop on the All Things Comedy Network. This is a American history podcast where each week I, electric phone owner, wow, man who mows lawns, oh my God. reader of books, Dave Anthony, uh-huh. reads a story from American history to his guy. What? Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. Don't call me your guy, honestly. Why? It's just, come on, what are we doing here? What are we what? doing? Well, yeah, first of all, we're doing? doing an intro, but secondly, we're showing up top, before we get into story, we're showing that we have an emotional connection with each other. A connection that goes deep, oh, boy. deep inside of each other, oh, into our souls, okay. and back out of our holes. Oh, my God. And from that, we share a deep love. Okay, so now, now an, seems like the interest, time to go. Okay, an interest in one another. What that shines bright. Let's just do the history. Keeps off. You know, Gareth, there was a time uh-huh. when I looked back on my life and I okay. saw one set of footprints. <sighs> Fuck. And Jesus said, "What's going on there?" And I said, "That's where Gareth carried me." Why is he even there? What is the he's what he's there and he he would know the he knows the footprints thing. That's his legacy. He's like a ghost. He follows you around like a like a ghost. No, that's the holy ghost. Would you have some respect for the Holy Trinity, please? Jesus haunts people. He's out there haunting all the time. He's always around haunting. That's Jesus. When Hello. you hear that, that's Jesus Christ. Our Lord I can't, I died again for you because you wanted to again, drink a bunch. I died again. That's right. Because you banged the neighbor. I died again what? for your sins. No, hold on. I didn't. Ooh. I didn't catch the part where you said something about banging. I'm in the walls. <laughs> okay. All right, Jesus. Thanks for stopping by. Okay. And called it, quote, his jam pad. Jam pad? I'm the fucking hippo guy! Dave, okay. My name's Gary. <laughs> My name's Gary. Wait. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tiggly Podcast. Okay. This is like anarchy! On a five-part coefficient. <laughs> My room's a Now hit him with the puppy. You both present sick arguments. <laughs> no sleep tell hippo! No sleep tell hippo! Uh, action part. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> November 2nd, 1949, year of our Lord Jesus Christ, everybody's favorite ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Raphael Minicello was born. Minicello? Minicello was born in a small Italian town named Melito Elpino. David, I'm getting a little turned on over here. Yeah. Yeah, how about this? Keep going. I'll say when. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit uh, northeast of Naples. Okay. Uh, Because this was post-war conditions, not great, right? Uh, Raphael was raised poor in a country house. Things went from bad to worse when three earthquakes struck the region in August 1962. A 6.1, a 6.4, and a 5.0. Well, wow. I mean, there was one earthquake and aftershocks, but the aftershocks were just as... That's quite a run, though. Yeah. 
so Raphael's uh, family lived 20 kilometers from the epicenter. Which is, for those of us listening, 150 miles. That's right. Over half the buildings in the area were seriously damaged. Tons of landslides. Uh, entire town of Malito Erpino was now uninhabitable. Wow. Uh, had to be evacuated. Oh, man. So people were moved into tents or shacks in a nearby hilly area. Okay. 16,000 people homeless. Holy shit. So 16,000 living like in shanties on hills. Yes, basically. Okay. You know, they, they had to knock down the entire town and rebuild it. So one of the homeless families is Rafael's. Uh, they also had lost most of their possessions in the earthquake. Uh, and Rafael, looking back on it, would say no one in authority came to help them. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave, I wonder, hmm. wonder if this will parallel anything. Uh, this began Rafael's distrust of authority. The family decided at this point uh, to move to America to look for a better life there. Okay. Get the hell out. Make yeah, let's go and be disappointed in another country for a change. Huh? Let's go to the Seattle. Huh? Get a, this, uh, go to the Space Needle, huh? Start a new life outside of the Space Needle, finally. I want to see a pack of plays. Uh, where do the Mariners play? I want to throw out of the first pitch. How does that work? Yeah, your coffee is shit. By the way, uh, anyone listen? Like, there are some people who just right now went, "Oh fuck, it's going to be like this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is one hundred percent going to be like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so they they moved to Seattle. Raphael is fourteen years old. Uh, really hard, really hard move for him. Yeah. He only spoke the Irpina uh, dialect, which I don't know if you know about dialects, uh, but. So it's just like a, it's a, it's off. It's off the language. It's not, it's not Italian. It's, it's related to Italian, but sure, it's, it's enough the, that it's, it's enough that it's a little confusing. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. So um, there, yeah. Like which happens in a lot of countries where there's like, the, it's a language that everyone in that country would understand, but it's maybe not directly translated to the language. Right. So this makes it even harder for him to sort of uh, blend in. And uh, he he went to because like Italians are like this guy's really Italian like so now he's in <laughs> Seattle and they're like he's like no I'm trying to say to you what I was saying it's okay it's so late but I enjoy a parayoyo it's a spicy meatball oh I mean I would if he'd have said a spicy meatball then I'd know where he's from but a spicy meatball I think he's trying to tell us something Dave. <sighs> So he goes to Foster High School. Uh, he gets picked on a lot. He gets teased for yeah. his very thick accent. Right. So this leads to unlike guys withdrawn. like you and I who are empaths and are understanding of his plight. That's correct. Tr- we would never make fun of someone's accent. Are treating it seriously. That's right. Uh, so he's withdrawn. He he's not talking very much. Okay. Uh, he does succeed. He's very good in mechanical drawing, which is because he had taken uh, he had learned that in a shop in Italy. Uh, but he's also very good with his hands. Rafael okay. is very, very good with his hands. He drops out of high school in 1967. He had always dreamed of becoming an airline pilot, but now that's gone. That's out of the picture. You know, Why you is that totally out of the picture? Just because of his accent? got to have a high school degree. got to have a high oh. school degree. Oh, okay. So he goes to San Diego and enlists in the Marines. Okay. Now this is 67. So- I thought it said uh, the Mariners. 
I follow the signs no. are too far. Ah, oh, shit. While I'm here, what the fuck? No, no, okay, no, it's <laughs> so. This is a the, the war's on. So he's going to the he's going into Vietnam, but it's also not out of character because he's known. His friends say he's very stubborn, but also very gung ho. So, so if you show, and if you show up to like the marine offices while there's an active like i want to serve they're like well well, you don't uh, need to see any documentation why don't you come right over here we'll have you fitted right now like because they're just ready to get people out there you know (laughs) that's right he was a really proud american uh and he hoped fighting in vietnam would Uh, make him a naturalized citizen that's what he wanted which is a lot which a lot of our yeah. Our immigrants do. And the sure. cool thing now is a lot of them that fought actually just get kicked out. So yeah, right. uh, he sent uh, he sent to Camp Pendleton, uh, which is just near Los Angeles, or Los, like an hour south, I guess. Uh, right near Beverly Hills, huh? It's near the hills. His trainers are very impressed. It, they described it as a casual disassembling and reassembling of weapons. Like, he's just like, like I said, he's so good with his Mechanical. hands. Mechanical. Like, yeah, he's just like, this is easy. Right. Doo, doo, doo. In late 1967, uh, Raphael was sent to Vietnam. He was 18 years old. Okay, Jesus It's the best Christ. time to go. Yeah, it's the best sure. time to go. Yep. yep, enjoy it. He arrived in December. Perfect. Uh, Raphael was a grunt, so he's in the thick of it. Right. Close friends are being killed. Uh, he's, he's, he's very good. He's saving other soldiers who are in danger. He ended up receiving the cross of gallantry for heroic conduct during the war. Mm. But while he's there, he's trying to save money and send it back. And he opens up this Marine savings account. Okay. So he is set. You send, I, I think it works. You send it to like someone at the base and then they put it in your account. Okay. Altogether, 800 bucks. So also while he's in Vietnam, he starts to hate his commanders because of their racism. Okay. Well, I mean, he wanted to be American. I mean, (laughs) you get in the whole thing. Yeah, you're getting the whole thing. I mean, that's my jam. Yeah. Quote, the leaders of my platoon just think of me as cannon fodder. Always, they send me first up the road with a minesweeper so they can walk soft and not get blown up. Send the WAP, they say. Oh, my God. That's just... Well, Dave, I'm going to go on record. That's not cool. It's always amazing to me that outside of the, like, 1800s that people are like, what about the WAP or the Mick? Yeah. Yeah. Like, the racism... That it's so recent. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, of Uh, course. So... After 13 months, he comes back uh, to the U.S. Uh, he's back at Camp Pendleton. He's having a hard time readjusting. A uh, soldier from his plane. Everywhere I go, him. nobody calls me the WAP, uh, which it's, uh, it's uh, tougher to adjust. Huh? It's a, no, uh, there's a nothing to mind a sweep. Uh-huh. I'll be okay. Yeah, I'll be okay. On a sea, like the cliff's edge. Raphael, you're not allowed to be over there. Oh, sorry. I'm just having a little bit of a musical solo to myself. I guess I'll stop singing my song. Raphael! Sorry, sorry. It's it's the sadder part of the movie. This is where everyone feels so endeared to me and says that I have such a brighter future. But here I am just on a cliff's edge looking into the sky saying, what do I want? Hey, What will it be? Yes. Can I finish? Can, Can I at least get to the chorus for a second? 
Back on the base. Wrap it up. Okay. All right. Hold on. Let me just finish the chorus real quick. Okay. And then and then you go clean the latrine. Let me clean the latrine, but I already I could just came back. Double clean it. Double. All right. Let me just finish I just, this. I just dropped a couple of spicy meatballs in there. Okay. That's really. Come on, man. Like, let's get over that already. All right. The chorus. It's me, Raphael. It's me, Raphael. Okay. I'm ready. That was the chorus. Yeah. There's a little more, but I'm like talking to God. But you guys are giving me a complex because it's not yeah, a simple. Yeah, okay. It's a complex. You know, the God's son is a ghost. Whoa. <laughs> I'd love to have a get eyes on him, huh? What did he look like? Like a ghost. Oh, he's a yeah, pretty, yeah. He's a, pretty, he's a pretty white guy. Oh, wait. I just wrote a new uh, verse about it. Oh, hold on. You know, uh-huh. one of them's a ghost. And it's maybe Jesus. And one of them's a ghost. Yes, it's me, Raphael. <laughs> okay, I already know. That's really, really bad. Wait, so what can progress? What do you want, huh? Not everything yeah, yeah, is as simple yeah. as uh, taking a gun apart. It's very in progress. This is the part of where I sing it to myself and they don't know that I'm a singer faster now. Now I'm a dancer <laughs> little bit on the cliff and they cannot a fuck a fuck a fuck with it. So a soldier from his platoon said, quote, there are a lot of sick people, confused people. Raphael was in some state. All of us were confused when we left Vietnam. Most of the platoon would be diagnosed with PTSD. Raphael checked his Marine savings account. Oh, boy. Uh, but there was not $800. There was only $600. Mm-hmm. He goes to the unit paymaster. So I think this is the guy he was sending his money to. Anyway, the guy's a total dick, and he just says, you're wrong about how much he sent. Cool. So Raphael goes to his superior officers, and they just blow him off and dismiss his complaint. Okay. Um, so now he considers this to be an enormous betrayal. Quote, I had done my part during those 13 months of the Vietnam War, but I was treated without due respect. His belief in America is dashed. He starts drinking a lot. And then one night, he decides he's going to break into the PDX, which is people know is a store. They're on the base. And he's going to steal either money or $200 worth of stuff. I mean, I probably said it wrong. It's probably not a PDX. but It's a PDF. Anyway. Okay. Then he figured they'd be even, right? He'd steal it or get the money. Sure. So I can't figure out if he started drinking before he did this, but I imagine he did. But I think he, then he continued drinking in the store. Let me tell you something. You want mm-hmm. to rob drunk. Do not right. leave this to your regular sober self. Oh, always. Give yourself some balance issues, maybe a little double vision, then get in and see what's going on. Then, you, then, then, take, then you know, case the joint and take the stuff. That's right. Most cat burglars were hammered. Most capitalists are what? Hammered. I don't think that's true. I actually oh. feel like I'm going to have to f- throw a flag on that. Huh. All right. Well, I'll back down. They're known for being really sort of skilled and able to move Dave, well. And, a lot and, of my facts come from gut instinct. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, so he keeps drinking beers, uh, and then he uh, goes to sleep on the floor of the store. Oh, boy. See, this is why you can't do that. I'm a Raphael. I'm asleep <laughs> on the store floor. You take him on hopefully no Holy Ghost. Uh, so they find him the next morning, and he is arrested and put in jail for ten days. By the way, you've got to just this is you've just got to prep yourself for this awakening. 
Like if you wake up in a store that you've been robbing and police are there, you just got to get up and go, God damn it. Did they get away? They hit my head so hard. Ah, <laughs> I, don't, I was calling it a PDX. It's a PX. I don't know what. <laughs> okay. Oh. Uh, so he, uh, he's charged. Okay. And then a court martial uh, date is set. He could get up to six months in jail. So, so now from his perspective, he got ripped off at $200. He tried uh-huh. to get that $200 back, and uh-huh. now he might be in jail for six months. Well, he's, he's so keeping he's, a step, but yes, for sure. It's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So he's livid. He's furious. Yeah. He had a, he just taken back with the Marines, had stolen from him. So the day before his court trial, Raphael bolts. Okay. He goes AWOL. Okay. Uh, actually, he, to him, AWOL. He takes uh, a bus to Los Angeles. I'm going to be a movie actor. Of course, he took his Chinese rifle, uh-huh. which he had picked up in, in uh, Vietnam. It was officially registered as a trophy, a war trophy. Okay. He'd clearly taken it off a soldier, Vietnamese guy, yeah. a person he killed. Sure. Uh, so he goes straight to LAX, and he buys a ticket on a TWA flight to San Francisco. For fifteen dollars and fifty pence. Now, hold on a second, Dave, because <laughs> obviously, some I'm seeing some puzzle pieces here. What's he that? he has what? the firearm with him. Uh, yep. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, he does have the firearm with him. Yes. This is I'll explain a, that in a little bit. Okay. Okay. Sure. Just want to make sure. And are you take? Are you putting this in your bag? Or are you going to take this on the plane? <laughs> How, what, what, what would you like? You're allowed two guns well, what, on the flight for free, but then you have to pay for a third. Otherwise, we can check as many as you like and send them to your last uh, destination. Well, he has a carry-on, right? And inside the carry-on is M1 rifle, which he had taken apart. So he has an open carry-on. So he's, it's in a tube. Sure. The gun is, I don't know what, probably like a mail tube or something. Like it's just all packed into a tube. And what do you do? I'm an architect. Well, no more questions. <laughs> He also has 250 rounds of ammunition. Okie dokie. Okay, which is a lot, which is more than, that's plenty. Plenty for a flight. That's right. How many pilots Uh, do they have? A million? (laughs) You don't know how many times you're going to shoot on a plane. You might might get into a gunfight. Well, and they say the bullets only pierce half as much because of the oxygen. It's like like what they say with alcohol. One in the air is two on the ground. So uh, there's not much security then. No one checked his bag. <laughs> so at the, at the most, they would have waited, but then no one is looking through it. They're just sure. like, who would do anything? It's an airplane. Right. Uh, there's, there's still some passengers on the plane when he gets on because the plane had come from Kansas City. What a uh, weird so time a- where you're like crossing over with passengers from a previous flight. But that's happened where you where you, you get on a second leg. When you get on that, a right? second leg, but not people who are like, excuse me, I'm li- – oh, so there's – oh, that's what you're saying. Okay, sorry. I thought you meant like yeah, people yeah, are like, I'm leg. about to leave the flight. It's like, well, I'm in – I sit there. Boy, they should really have a system for this, shouldn't they? Well, they don't. You know what they should do is they should create 15 different boarding groups that are tiered oddly, and they don't start with one until they've named seven other groups. That would make some sense. That would be amazing. It's late also. It's like 1, 1 a.m. Most people okay. are super tired uh, when he gets on. Now, hijackings are, are relatively new. This is a new thing. It, feels- it started maybe around the 60s. But even after they started, airlines 
were fighting against having security. Sure. Because they didn't want to ruin passengers' flying experience. They wanted oh, to make the fun. What an era. Can you imagine a time <laughs> when an airline was like, well, we're just thinking about the customer experience here. Can you imagine? What a time to be alive. No, I can't. Also, the first time that like someone hijacked a plane, you must have been like, this is crazy, but this dude's a goddamn genius. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Who, who would think of this? So they also didn't want to slow down the check-in process, so they were just against it. Um, sure. So it's not happening. Now, there, in this year, in 1969, it's October 28th, there have already been 54 hijackings in the U.S. <laughs> oh, my God. And they're, they're like, well, we got to weigh bags. That's it. There's, we got to weigh them. There, there's one hijacking every six days. That is, I mean, imagine for guys like us who used to travel as much, if every six, you'd be like, man, I got a bad feel. You know what I mean? You'd be like, I'm due. I'm due. I am due. Look at that guy. He's got, he's packing heat. I might have to do it myself. <laughs> so the crew is now, it's three guys in the cockpit and four young female flight attendants. Charlene DeMonico was the most experienced. She had one year under her belt as a flight attendant. She's 23 years old. Um, The flight before the captain, Captain Donald Cook, who's 31, he told the flight attendants, there's a new rule to enter the cockpit. Ring a bell outside the door instead of knocking. Ring a bell as in like ring a bell like a a sick old woman would for a butler? (laughs) Or is there like an actual bell? There's a bell there. There's actually a bell that you ring. But like a not like not a button. I don't I don't think it's a button. I think it's an actual bell. What? I might be wrong. But this is what I read. This is how it was described as ringing a bell. I'm not sure that maybe it is a button. Maybe it is a button, but it was just described as a bell. I just can't imagine. I mean, that is just so amazing. So just, maybe it is. Maybe it's a bell. No, you might that, be right. It pops up on the but look, it is 1969. Not, look, look, they're weighing bags because they care about the customer experience. They might have a bell up there. Down is up. I mean, let me guess. I mean, it, planes it, it, go it, underwater for flights during this time, right? It's, <laughs> look, it's not an exaggeration to say that someone with an actual bell they're ringing because this guy just walked on with a backpack yes. with 250 bullets in it. Yeah, <laughs> like he must have walked on and seen the bell and been like, "Oh, that's that's reassuring." <laughs> so, so. He probably walked on, saw the bell, and he was like, boy, that thing's going to be ringing a lot later. Captain! 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 When Charlene saw uh, Raphael get on the plane, she noticed him. She thought he was, he was polite, but he was a little bit nervous. Uh, he's very attractive. He's, very, he's tan. Uh, he's got flattened, wavy hair, and he's dressed he's in camouflage. Yeah, okay. He's Italian. He's Italian. I mean, uh, he also has a big tube sticking out of his backpack. Excuse so, me, sir, what's in the tube? A blueprint. <laughs> so, Charlene goes up to ask the other flight attendants if they had asked him what was in the backpack, and they had, and they were told it was a fishing rod. So this is before lying? Just go ahead and ask me what's in the tube. Excuse me, uh, sir, what, what's in that tube in your backpack? It's a fish in a pole. I'm going to go on a fish. Well... That's pretty much it. <laughs> so, 
So the the plane's pretty empty. There's there's 39 passengers. Everyone spreads out. They just tell everything and sit where they want. So everyone's just relaxing. Some a lot of people are trying to sleep. They turn the lights way down. Charlene and another uh, flight attendant, Tracy Coleman, who's 21, they start cleaning the galley and getting stuff ready. Now the pop group Harper's Bazaar uh, is on board. Harper's Bazaar is the same. It's not the same name as Harper's Bazaar, the magazine. They've what is going on name. right now? They've spelled their last name, name B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-E. So, they're, so it's a they, little twist on Harper's Bazaar. It's just fun. It's just it's a fun. band that is formed as an homage or a spoof of the magazine Harper's Bazaar. You got it, buddy. Dave, so, that's bizarre. So Harper's Bazaar had a single reach number 13 on the Billboard chart. In We're not a magazine. <laughs> uh, they did a cover of uh, Simon and Garfunkel song. So it this reached- band named themselves after a magazine and is doing covers and succeeding. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so Dave, I would love for you to come and see my new band, Cat Fancy. We've got a great cover of Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> So Harper's Bazaar is coming back from a gig in, in Pasadena. Uh, they're on the plane. The drummer and the singer light up cigarettes. They're sitting there talking, smoking cigarettes as the plane takes off at 1.30 a.m. Okay. Now, taking off in a Boeing 707, very loud. The engines have a water injection system. It creates a very loud rumble. Uh, it was nicknamed the Water Wagon by Cruz. Okay. So Raphael quickly uh, knocks back a couple of shots of uh, Canadian club whiskey. Mm -hmm. And then he gets up and takes his bag to the bathroom where he reassembles his gun. Hey, why did he take his fishing pole into the bathroom? (laughs) I bet he lost something in the toilet. That's smart. Should we ring the bell? No, no, don't disturb the captain. Leave the bell. (laughs) Fifteen minutes into the flight, he comes out holding the M1 rifle and stands near Charlene and Tracy. Now, Charlene is very calm, and she says, quote, you're not supposed to have that. Sorry, sir. I don't think you might have nodded off when we did the pre-flight security speech. Masks will drop down if there's something you need. Seatbelts have to be fastened. We can show you how to do that. It looks like you had it before. And there are to be no firearms. You said that was a fishing pole, you little liar. It's a boom, boom. Excuse me? It's a boom, boom stick. And it goes a bang, bang. I might, I have half a mind to ring this bell. I really have, (laughs) part of me thinks if there, if not now, when? So, Raphael hands her a bullet to prove that the gun is loaded. What? Which is a, which is a baller move. Like if someone's just like, you can't have that and you just take a bullet out and go, Oh, I ha- not only do I have it, but I got I, these. I feel like he's got a lot of ammo. He's tipping us with wait. ammo. Hold on. Wait, wait. That's my only bullet. Ah, stupid. Yeah. No, no, no. May I have it? Uh, do you have a ticket? If you, uh, if you give me the bullet, I will not uh, shoot you. And then you have to put your gun in the overhead bin. At hey, least- it's a hard. It's a Harper's Bazaar. Hey. Hey, you all right, man? We were just talking about writing a new song called Yellow Submarine. Now, they start walking towards the cockpit from the back of the plane, and Harper's Bazaar watches 
as Charlene passes by with a guy behind her pointing a rifle at her. And the drummer says to the singer, is this really happening? Now, there's an off-duty pilot that they pass by who happens to be on the flight, and he stands up to confront Raphael. And then Raphael shouts very loud at Charlene, Halt! And she immediately realized that he's a soldier. Like, it was just obvious right. how he yelled it and what he did. And then Raphael looked at the off-duty pilot and said, sit back in your fucking seat, which he does. What a great, by the way, I, I, obviously a crazy situation. But if you ever get a chance to tell a pilot to stay in his fucking seat, what a pleasure. <laughs> what a fun little role reversal, right? I'll let yeah. you know when you can walk about the cabin, motherfucker. <laughs> so, so they keep moving. Uh, they go into the first class compartment where Charlene tells the other two flight attendants, hey, this guy has a gun. Should we ring the bell? I mean, where, what are we feeling with the bell? We should be... Ring my bell. No, 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 guys. That's enough. I know ring that Harper's Bazaar song. I know that Harper's Bazaar song. Ring, I'm talking about this actual my... bell here. Captain said to do it if there was an emergency. Now... This Italian man it? seems to have a loaded gun. Is I that say, though? there's like one every six days. Here's what I say: if uh-huh. two people are shot, we ring the bell. Yes. Okay, great. I like that. Great. Great. I like that. Great. Okay, you do drinks. I'll do snacks. Okay. So they get to the cockpit door, and then Charlene starts explaining how they're not supposed to knock, but they're supposed to ring the bell. <laughs> I, I mean, oh God. <laughs> Just like adorable, terrifying, sad, upsetting. That's what that is. That's right. And Raphael is like, no, you knock on the door. He think, Now he thinks it's a trick. Code, right. And he won't let her ring the bell. I'm not going to fall for a knock a ringing again, okay? I know how to play this a game. That's how I got a shot. In you ring the bell, all of a sudden a bunch of police officers have come out of the cockpit. I want to knock. Uh, he becomes more and more upset as she keeps trying to explain the bell situation. And then she starts to realize he's paranoid and she ends up knocking instead. Okay. So the door opens. God damn it. How many times have I told you we're using the bell? Hello, sir. And she's like, this guy has a gun. And Raphael steps into the cabin and points the M1 at each guy, all three of them, one at oh, a time. my God. Captain Cook, First Officer Wenza Williams, and Flight Engineer Lloyd Holra. And Williams immediately, I don't know if Williams was in the military, but he immediately was like, this guy is well-trained. Uh-huh. Whatever he was doing, however he was holding the gun, he's like, this guy's the real deal. And then Raphael says, take the plane to New York. I'm going to go see a Hamilton. <laughs> This is a super weird request because almost all planes being hijacked are being taken to Cuba. Where was it headed before this? San Francisco. Okay. So super short. Right. Okay. Okay. And so everyone's like, wait, not Cuba. Cuba had sort of become a thing because, you know, America's in all this fucking turmoil. Yeah. Uh, there are no flights to Cuba. You can't fly to Cuba. So communists kept stealing planes, hijacking them and taking them to Cuba. Fidel Castro loves it because not only is it, you know, someone stealing a plane to get out of America, but also then he, he makes the airlines pay to get the plane back. Like it's a fucking great racket. It's a good system. Yeah. Uh, so it got so bad at one point that, that, 
pilots started to be given maps of the Caribbean and guides in Spanish in case they had to go to Havana. Wow. And that, <laughs> and this, and they're like, we just don't, we just don't want to check people. So what is the plan? We will just teach people the terrain and language of Cuba. <laughs> so, but hijacking a plane to New York is fucking weird. And each year, flight attendants took emergency training, and one thing they were taught was to not fall in love with the hijacker. Oh, my God. No. They were told that the hijacker would try to get sympathy from the crew and be sweet and tell them their sad story. And, you know, of course, ladies, they're just like, oh. Yeah. And by, the, and by the way, I mean, the <laughs> it's truth, so it's, it's, it's incredibly sexist. And it's also like, if you were to hear this guy's story, you'd be like, that's bullshit. <laughs> so, like, you are going to, like, feel like, you know, express sympathy towards someone who's like, you know, like, I fucking, I mean, if I heard that guy's story, I'd be like. Oh, you know what? Let's go to New York. Yeah, no, it's fucking crazy. The demon had to say, I mean, some people might develop like, I, I feel bad for this guy because he's fucked up or he wants something. But women aren't fucking, it's, it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. the idea. Like, you guys, we got to stop stewardesses falling in love with people. And again, planes. this is, this, this is their mitigation instead of just like, like I'm not, I'm not one for airport security, but obviously like it's instead of, instead of being like, all right, so we're going to teach everyone what the landscape of Cuba is. And then all flight attendants stick around. We're going to teach you how to not be so simple. Okay. <laughs> Pilots go do your thing. Go high five and smoke cigarettes. <laughs> Women, stick around. We're going to weigh you and then teach you. <laughs> so, so Captain Cook goes up to the loudspeaker and says, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I have a uh, terrifying fucking news. Um, we have a very nervous young man up here, and we're going to take him wherever he wants to go. Wow. Uh, while the cockpit crew thought they might get shot, a lot of the passengers are having a good time. Harper's Bazaar is back there just trying to guess where they think they're headed. And one of them's like, what about Hong Kong? And they're like, what do I have never been to Hong Kong? That'd be amazing. So there's some passengers in back who are just like, well, this is going to be fucking fun. What? I Why? don't. We have a we have a different perspective on hijackings. Now they started to get more progressively more violent. So As things went on in this era and then was, ended culminating with them flying into towers. Right. But at this point, at this it's, point, it's you're just going scary to vacation. You're like, Oh, I've always wanted to go to Cuba. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people on the plane are like, nothing's going to happen to us. Cause nothing ever happens. We'll just get taken somewhere weird. Right. And that's kind of it. Okay. <laughs> so, so they think it's cool. They might be going to Hong Kong or whatever. Cool. That's what they're guessing. Yeah. But Raphael said, New York, but then he also slipped and said Rome. So the pilot's like, what's going on here? Either way, they didn't have enough fuel for wherever he wanted to go. Yeah. yeah, for, yeah. They're supposed to go to San Francisco. San Francisco to Rome. So Captain Cook explains this to Raphael, uh, but Raphael's not having it. He knew uh, there was enough fuel to get to New York. He's like, it's a plane. It's got enough. You filled it up. You filled up the tank. So they go back and forth for a while, and finally Ra Raphael relents. And he agrees to let the plane stop to refuel in Denver. Boy, the Denver airport, huh? 
Yeah. Weird choice, <laughs> it's not, Raphael. It's the, it's the old one, not the new one. Oh, okay. Lucky. Uh, so he lets he lets Captain Cook go in into the cabin to talk to the passengers. Uh, and Cook told them, quote, if you've made any plans in San Francisco, don't plan on keeping them because you're going to New York City. Like it's the price is right? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what plans you've made for San Francisco, but toss those out the window because you're going to the Big Apple, the city that never sleeps, New York! That's right! That's you and awesome. the band Harper's Bazaar get a two-day, two-night extravagant with a refill in Denver, where Raphael is going to take us wherever we want to go, where our hearts desires. Once you're in New York, accommodations will not be provided, but we will be providing you one round-trip ticket for you and a friend of yours to go to New York City. If you're in Harper's Bazaar, you're going to write a song about it that no one's ever heard of called New York, New York by a little guy called Frankie Sinatra, but it'll be passed off as your own. That's right. Total prize package, $1,271. Uh, I was I was up for it, and then you said Harper's Bazaar is coming, which I'm not really. Harper's Bazaar is not allowed to go to Hawaii or Alaska. So uh, when they get in, when the no one knows they've been hijacked until they get into Colorado airspace. When he can call uh, air air traffic control and let them know, nobody on the ground knows. Right, right, okay. Yeah, there's no transponders at that point or anything. No one knows. Uh, So anyway, the the plane lands in Denver. Raphael, as the plane is landing, tells the airport to turn off all the lights. So the, so it's already, it must be already be safe. Like they're on the ground and he says, now turn off all the lights. So, uh, it's a dark airport. And then they, they start refueling the plane. And as they're refueling the plane, the crew starts talking to Raphael and they're saying, the best thing for you to do right now is to let the passengers go because the passengers are, are extra weight. If you get them off the plane, the fuel, it'll, yeah. it'll definitely get to New York. So it'll, the plane will be lighter, blah, blah, blah. It sounds like the flight attendants have already fallen in love with him, which is just so predictable. <laughs> <laughs> so he agrees. He's like, as long as there's no trouble with the passengers. Except uh, for uh, Harper's Bazaar. They must stay, please. And then Captain Cook's like, "What? What about their luggage?" He's like, "Yeah, they take their luggage. That's a, that's a fine. They, they, each I don't person want them to be without a. They take a one bag. Address. They got a one bag. That's right. Oh, a bag. Even three flight attendants, he says, can go, and they would keep one. Um, all of us want to stay, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, are actually an argument breaks over out over which flight attendant should stay. Raphael wants Charlene. Captain Cook wants Roberta Johnson because he knows her the best. And then as Charlene's writing up a passenger manifest, Tracy comes up to her and says, quote, I'm going to go. It turns out Tracy has a boyfriend in New York, and this way she could visit him. God damn, I cannot. I mean, <laughs> you know, look, I have I had a lot of trouble wrapping my head around moments in time on this show. But the, the uh, casual yeah. appreciation of a hijacking <laughs> is... <laughs> Talk about bizarre. I feel like I'm in Harper's. It's pretty it's pretty amazing. It's I'll just do great. it because so, I'm gonna go to New York and I can see Brad. So Charlene's like, it's not gonna end in New York. Quote, he can't stay there. He'll be arrested if he gets out of New York. He's going somewhere else. I don't know where, but he's going somewhere else. So the passengers all get off, and then the off-duty Nice to meet you, Raphael. Keep it cool, man. Uh, 
the off-duty pilot comes back and he's like, hey, I left a Halloween costume. I bought it in Hong Kong. It's on the plane. And, and he asked Raphael if he can go back in the plane and get his Halloween costume. And Raphael's like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. I mean, uh, who so that, doesn't appreciate the idea of dressing up before a special night? It's very fun. Yes. What are you going as? A pilot. It's a dress. It's a dress. <laughs> It's a dragon pilot. That's yeah. the, so all the passengers go into the terminal uh, where their FBI agents are all over the place. They bring him into a big room and they start grilling each passenger. Harper's Bazaar does not immediately talk to the FBI. They immediately call their manager. Hey, man, <laughs> we got an idea for a concept album. Do you have any idea who Sergeant Pepper is? Oh, also, we were hijacked. <laughs> So the manager said it, it said at some time, if anything crazy happens, anything you like, just uh, call me anytime. So it's like three in the morning or whatever when he gets a call. By the time the FBI interview is over, there is a room full of reporters waiting for Harper's Bazaar. What is going on? Because the manager set it all up. Okay. So the singer would later say it was, quote, the best publicity we ever had by a mile. And they were soon guests on NBC's music show, The Spring Thing. Oh, God. We all remember The Spring Thing. What a great, uh, the- great show. That's where Hendrix started. <laughs> That's right. So the plane takes off from Denver, full tank of gas, smaller crew, just the three guys from the cockpit, and Tracy. Tracy's the one who ended up staying. The boyfriend in New York one? Yeah, I couldn't figure out how she... It must have been because she was the only one who volunteered, but that... Right. anyway. She ends up. So the three-hour flight from Denver to JFK is pretty peaceful. Captain Cook said, quote, we had a nice conversation. He was pretty calm. They up front agreed not to talk about politics or religion, so they would all get along better. What kind? What is happening? What kind of bread breaking is taking place in a hijacked cockpit? What? Yeah, I would hate to dislike you guys. And we would uh, hate to leave with a bitter taste in our mouth, Raphael. So why don't we just talk about our families and movies we like? (laughs) Raphael told him he wanted to go to New York, but it wasn't his final destination. The crew, again, thought he meant Cuba. They're just like, well, we're going to Cuba. It's got to be Cuba. Right. He told them he'd been in Vietnam for 13 months. The Marines stole money from him, how he tried to rob the PX uh, and then got caught and that he didn't want to go to jail. So that's why he was here. Does this end with him being woken up in the plane in New York and he's fallen asleep on the floor again, just like the robbery? (laughs) So uh, he relaxes in first class. He's got the gun beside him. He made himself a cocktail using miniature bottles of Canadian club whiskey and gin. Which is not a drink. Uh, yeah, sometimes anywhere. people like sometimes when people make a mixed drink, they're having something in there to cut the uh, booze. Yeah, yeah. He, no, he's like, I want to have a drink that ruins a whiskey and a gin. Oh yeah, that's it. What do you call it? And the taste is like a shitter. <laughs> so, so the crew told him, I don't know what the, I could, was trying to figure out what this meant. The the plane isn't equipped to fly over water. That's what they tell him. Okay. And also that the crew themselves are not qualified to fly over water. Sure. I assume that has to do with Gills. like how JFK JFK Jr. died. Like when you're flying over water, you can different get different set of regulations. Yeah. You can get you can get thrown off by the um horizon and where the water is and stuff. Sure. 
Like it, it can tell you, it can. So anyway, uh, after a while he agreed to let them call their company dispatcher to see what to do. So cook called and the dispatcher recommended if they were going to fly out over the sea to get two international pilots, JFK. Well, I love what <laughs> it's being handled like a regular request. <laughs> yeah, TWA741, what do you have up there? Hey, we have a uh, hijacker on the flight with us today, and he is probably looking to take us over international waters. I do not have that class of license. What is the recommendation? And does the hijacker have a gun? He absolutely does. Okay, well, what I would say is uh, take him wherever he wants to go, and then the second that you are there, request some international pilots, and we'll swap you out, and then they can be hijacked. So just make sure I reach out to a couple pilots who are okay with being hijacked. That's right, yep. All right, I guess I'm going to have to go to the black book. <laughs> Hello? So... Do you have any uh, pilots that'll be hijacked? Yeah, we got a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. What year do you think this is? 80? We're fine. What do you need? So uh, so they arrive at JFK. It's super early in the morning. Raphael, again, has them park the plane far away from the terminals as possible. And then he tells, he puts out the order for them to tell everybody in the fucking area. Everyone stays as far away from the plane as they can. Okay. Yeah. As few, he wants as few people as possible to approach the plane to refuel it. That's right. what he's looking Makes for. Makes sense. But the FBI wanted the hijacking stopped in New York because no one had ever taken a domestic flight. No one had ever hijacked a domestic flight and taken it to another continent. That's never happened. Even the FBI's line is weird. Like, I mean, that is crazy. But any hijacked plane, you should be like, oh, my God. Oh, wait, they were going international? Yeah. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> I, I thought that was a – hopefully those people have their passports. That's my concern. What's it going to be like when they land in Sri Lanka? So uh, this is a big deal to the FBI. So 100 agents are dressed up as mechanics and other airport employees, <laughs> each, each one with the objective of trying to sneak onto the plane. So – it's going to look like a NASCAR flight. <laughs> You're just going to run out of high. I mean, could they not just like, wouldn't, wouldn't it be make more sense to be like, hey, how many people normally do this? Three? <laughs> We're going to do five. Instead, like, all right, we got a hundred. Now, everybody go out there and try to run into the plane. So all these guys are starting to come closer to the plane. That's panicking. Uh, Raphael. Sure. Uh, and a as they're setting up the refueling, F. I guess two or three FBI agents who are in FBI uh, uniforms walk up to the plane and Captain Cook opens the little window in the cockpit and, and they talk and an agent tries to get Raphael to come closer to the window. But Raphael's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not actually into getting shot. I'm not going to come over to the window. Yeah. First officer Williams quote, Raphael was running. So he, now he's upset now because he sees all the guys all around the plane. Yeah. He sees what's going on. Raphael was running up and down the aisles to make sure they weren't trying to sneak in the airplane. He felt he would be shot if they came to the window. And then Raphael starts saying, I'm going to shoot. I'm going to shoot the crew. Uh, and then Captain Cook tells the FBI to get away from the fucking plane. But the agent said, quote, we'll move the plane when we are when we get good and ready. So this is like I, I at some point, Americans 
maybe because of the Trump thing, but it seems like it happened earlier, decided the FBI was good at their job when most of the time the FBI is really bad at the job. I mean, there's a reason in Die Hard they make the joke about the FBI uh, when when he's like, oh, what do we do now? Oh, I give you the FBI. And they shut off the power and they get into the safe because the FBI forever have been known as bumbling idiots. Right. This is a good example. Right. So the FBI say, uh, when we get good and ready, and then... Let's and then, proceed uh, right now with Operation Smother. <laughs> and then a shot goes off. Oh, shit. Now, Raphael says, and everybody uh, at this at this point in time, it's pretty much, I think, agreed upon that he did not mean to shoot. He was just getting freaked out, and he accidentally squeezed the trigger a little bit, and the bullet went up into the ceiling and just barely grazed an oxygen tank. If it had gone into the tank, the tank would have exploded. If it had gone into the fuselage, the plane could not have taken off. So it would have all been over. So it's not something that he probably right. did on purpose. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. But at the time, everyone thinks it's for real. Like, it's not an accident. Right. So Captain Cook, quote, I love that his name's Captain Cook. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's been great. He dies in Hawaii. He dies in Hawaii. Uh, So Captain Cook, quote, the FBI plan was damn near a prescription for getting the entire crew killed. So Cook now yells at the FBI, is chastising them and said the plane is taking off now uh, without fueling. And he doesn't give a shit what they think. Do you get you guys are so bad at your jobs that I'm going to do what the hijacker thinks is best. You guys wait until Die Hard comes out. So at that point, the two pilots who are there to take over the international leg push their way past the FBI agents and get on the plane. What is so going even the, on? Even, even they're like, fuck these guys. These guys are going to get someone killed. We're going to go in there and, and do what the hijacker wants. These pilots are amazing. Yeah. No, the pilots in this whole story are amazing. So pilots are always pilots are Billy. That's why we don't pay them shit anymore. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the new pilots were Billy Williams and Richard Hastings. So the crew had up and uh, during the flight from Denver to uh, JFK, everything became very relaxed, and no one was freaked out. And and now that's gone. The, that's all gone. What are the odds that they're going to open an overhead bin and find the basis for Harper's Bazaar? And they're like, I just wanted to be part <laughs> of the journey, man. <laughs> so so now they're reminded that he could kill him at any time uh captain cook quote we sat with that boy for six hours and had seen him go from practically a raving maniac to a complacent and intelligent young man with a sense of humor and then these idiots irresponsibly made up their own minds about how to handle this boy on the basis of no information and the good faith we had built up for almost six hours was completely destroyed fbi Ladies and gentlemen, the FBI. Thank you, everybody. Uh, so the new, the new pilots take charge. They're in charge of the plane now. Raphael ordered everyone else into the cock to stay in the cockpit and put their hands on their heads. So the other pilots yeah, as well. Yeah, all okay. four of the crew are now are now. Uh, no, the other two guys are flying, but the rest yeah, of the but crew. The are, original pilots who are not the international yeah. pilots. They're just like, all right, now we're just hostages. Yeah, now he the FBI has just completely fucked the whole situation. Right, okay. So. Plane takes off from JFK. Uh, again, they don't have enough fuel to get very far, certainly not to Rome. They're now seven and a half hours into the hijacking. 
Uh, so as he's sitting there with his hands above his head, Captain Cook starts talking to Raphael and talking to him and trying to convince him that they had nothing to do with the shit at the airport. That was all the FBI. After about 20 minutes, he calms Raphael down and uh, things get a little more relaxed again. The plane now lands in Bangor, Maine to fuel. It's now early afternoon. The story of the hijacking and what had happened to JFK is all over the news. Tons of reporters and photographers are in a giant mob in the terminal at Bangor Airport. Harper's Bazaar is like, we got to get to Maine. (laughs) We got a gig. We got to get back on that plane. So there's 75 cops keeping an eye on the press. That's how many press are there. Wow. Because they don't want anyone trying to get over to the plane. Right. Also, there's hundreds of just gawkers. People of Maine have driven to the airport because they want to see some hijacking action. Sure. But then the cops keep them a half a mile away from the airport, so they're watching from a distance. Sure. Raphael sees two guys looking at the plane from a nearby building, and then Captain Cook radios the tower and says, Raphael says he's going to start shooting at those guys unless they leave, and then the guys run away. So it's just a big spectacle. Yeah. Um, crazy. The f- they get the plane filled up. The plane takes off from Maine. The BBC quote, a sense of solidarity had begun to develop among those who had been together for more than nine hours. Uh, sorry. The surface. Do, do you want to just clarify the way you're talking about the women? <laughs> it's, when you say that, Dave, it sounds like you're talking about the men too. And I just want to make sure people aren't like, what's going on? <laughs> But under the surface, even as they tried to keep the hijacker happy, the crew continued to fear for their lives. So now there's like, I mean, this, this isn't going to come up again, but there's like two camps. Like the, the new pilots don't give a fuck about Raphael, but the, everyone else is like talk to him for hours. And so they're trying to yeah, uh, bring him down a little bit right. and, and, you know, see what's up. So, right. um, so now he's not flying. So now Captain Cook's not flying the plane. So he and Raphael sit next to each other in first class. And they start telling each other stories. I tell you what, when you told me about this whiskey gin, I thought it was going to taste like shit. This is pretty good. Yeah, that's right. And now I want to tell you about the llama. I see a jump off a building. Oh, it's a great story. Sure. So the gun is just sitting between them. Cook said, Cook tells him he's been, he was an air traffic controller in the Air Force. And Raphael asked Cook if he, he was married. Now, Cook's not married, but he tells Raphael he is and he has a kid. He thought that would make Raphael less likely to shoot him. Yeah. And then he tells Raphael, everyone on the crew is married, even though only one person was married. We're all married to each other. It's a weird cult. Uh, <laughs> now, at one point during this flight, uh, Raphael asked why Cook didn't go. For, he's like, why aren't you going for the gun? I think, and this is convenient because n- none of the crew brought this up. But at one point, Raphael said he went to the bathroom and left the gun and no one grabbed it. So that may be why he asked, maybe why he asked him. And then Cook just said, look, I'm not a murderer. I'm, I'm just not going to shoot you. Like, it's just not something I'm going to do. Yeah. So Tracy also spent time talking to Raphael. Uh, he taught her uh, a bunch of card games. He taught her how to play solitaire. Oh, boy. <laughs> what 21-year-old does not play solitaire? <laughs> a happy one. <clears throat> so... She would later tell reporters Raphael was, quote, a very easy fellow to talk to. Did you fall in love with her? Um, <laughs> I knew he it. Told her, he told her all about moving to the U.S. with his family. 
again, it's a six hour flight now. So they're nine hours into the hijacking at this point. Tracy, Tracy takes a nap. Some crew were able to sleep. Others like Wenzel Williams said he was way too keyed up to sleep. Are they, are they going to Rome? Well, they're headed to Ireland now. They're headed to Ireland. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, there's not, there's not really anything to eat. They just had leftover cupcakes on the plane. <laughs> well, listen, if there's only one thing to eat, may as well act like it's your 12th birthday. Well, I mean, that's uh, got a gr- that's great news to some people. Yeah. Unfortunately, the only thing we have left is whiskey, gin, and cupcakes. Oh boy. Yes. <laughs> so at some point they crossed time zones. Oh, November fear. 1st. Oh, get it. I mean, it wasn't even a second. Was he waiting? By, does he have the timing down? Like, was he waiting for it? I just recently adjusted the timing a little bit, so he's a little oh. off. But the run, the run to the machine is Olympic. I'm sure it is. Uh, so it's November 1st. They cross the timeline. Okay. It's Raphael's birthday. Oh, my he's God. 20, he's 20 years old. And there's cupcakes? <laughs> It's a miracle. <laughs> this is meant to be. But unfortunately, there is no celebration. Oh. Um, the plane lands in Shannon, Ireland, and it takes a half hour to get gas, and then they take off again. Uh, so at this point, there are 18 and 22 minutes into the, into the hijacking. Wow. <clears throat> now, now Charlene Delmonico, who had gotten off in Denver, is now at home. It's late in the evening, and the FBI comes to her house knocks on her door and shows her a photo and it's Raphael. And she goes, that's the guy. So now the FBI knows who he is. And they're, they're stopping in Ireland just for more gas, just for more gas. That's it. So the plane gets to Rome and circles around Rome as, uh, as he explains what he wants. It's a Rome. It's a (laughs) Raphael has one demand. He wanted the plane parked as far away from the terminal again, and then he wanted one unarmed police official to come out and meet him. Okay. So no, no groups of people, just uh-huh. one guy, no gun. The hijacking is now 26 hours long and had gone 6,700 miles. That is... The New York Times wrote that it was, quote, the world's longest and most spectacular hijack. Of course. Thank you, New York Times. So... Raphael starts talking to the crew as they start to land because the, the, the cops agreed to send one guy with a car. So he starts talking to the crew as they're landing. And he says that he, he offers to drive them to their hotel once they're on the ground. And they're like, no, we're good. We'll get our own ride. No, it's just that, um, you know, we, we love you, but this is uh, yeah, it'll be nice to like, be away. Also, I feel like it might end with you having a new hole in your uh, head, head. I'll stay. You can drive me to my hotel. My brain is you're little. Training, tra- Stop it. Tracy, you're training. Stop it. You're bra- training. Stop it. My brain is little and easy to be manipulated. No matter how many speeches I get, I can't help but care about your story, Raphael. You can drive me anywhere you want. Actually, I've actually. Hold on, Tracy. Raphael, I'm also in love with you now. What the hell? That's just this what is- happens on these goddamn hijacking flats. This is but so. Damn it, man. I want to rub my chest hair up against yours. Hey, it's a me. I want to I fuck you like a Texan. It's what? a the cop who's unarmed. And I have not been here long. But I can <laughs> tell you one thing, Raphael. I'm going to goddamn love with you, okay? <laughs> Everything you do is a perfect. If only there was a song you had. Well, actually, uh, 
No. No, no, it's no. nothing. It's not very, it's not completed or anything, but uh, I mean, I've been tinkering around with the lyrics. Retrospect is nasty because, God, I should have gone through Harper's Bazaar's writing process with them. So, uh, so Raphael said he was worried the crew would get in trouble because they didn't try to take his gun when they could have. Uh, he says to Captain Cook, quote, I've given you guys an awful lot of trouble. And the captain says, look, we didn't take it personally. <laughs> Get hey. him. Hey, buddy, it's all business. We understand. Don't worry. We understand. You're a hijacker. You're doing your business. You're welcome We're to hijack any flight that I'm the captain on from now on, Raphael. It's an honor. So the plane lands and they wait. And then uh, an Alfa Romero drives out toward the plane. Of course. Yep. Of course. Italy. Hello. Hello, we are a stereotypical Italia. Yeah, that's the that's the siren. It's a stereotype, a stereotype. Now the the siren goes a spicy meatball. It's a meatball. It's a meatball. It's a meatball. They shut it off. It's a meatball. Uh, so this was Deputy Customs Official Pietro Giuli. I I had there are two different descriptions of him. One was that he was the police chief of the airport, and the other was he was deputy customs official. Okay. I, I'm betting that's deputy customs official. But so uh, he had volunteered to do this. He, he parks, he climbs up the steps to the plane. He's got his hands above his head. Raphael turns to Captain Cook and says, quote, So long, Don. I am sorry I caused you all this trouble. And then he asked the captain for his address because he wanted to write him a letter and explain to him why this has all gone down. I'm not and maybe just to keep address. in touch. And just to keep in touch, maybe. And maybe I come over yeah. to your house and I hold you hostage or something like for all time's sake. Eh? You, got a, you got the pool, you got the pond, what do you got? The... We got a pool and the pond, but a pond would be good for you. Eh? <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a quick a quote from a movie called Caddyshack. Which hasn't even been made yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Raphael and Pietro walk down the steps uh, as Raphael holds the rifle, and then they get in the car. Raphael gets in the back seat, and he points the rifle at Pietro and tells him to drive to Naples. Raphael is going home. Okay. <laughs> so as the Alfa Romeo drives, four cop cars start tailing it. And when one gets too close, Raphael points the gun and makes them back off. And then he started giving directions until they lost all the cop cars. So how is he doing that? He's like, all right, turn left. Super far. Now right. Make it you a U-turn. Go around the roundabout. One more time. By the fountain. Go left. Go left again. Now go through this little alley. Ooh, they can't make it. Okay, now go home. Uh, drive up past the Pope and a honk. He'll turn around. The cops will look at the... Hey, Samia the Pope. Uh, I think it's just stuff like uh, go up to a stop line when it's a red light and then go when it's red. You know, that kind of stuff. Okay. Whatever. They lose him. Right. Okay. Um, so he then drives, has the drive out of the country outside of Rome, six miles outside. The streets are become, becoming more and more narrow. There's two versions of this again. There's one where it says the road comes to a dead end and Raphael gets out of the, they both get out of the car and then Raphael runs off. And there's another one where Raphael knew where he was going and he just said, stop here. And then, but either way, he ran off into a vineyard. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's just a stereotype. 
Yeah, classic Italian escape. Yeah. Just, yeah. And then he threw a bunch of pasta at us as he ran off. <laughs> if an Italian runs into a vineyard, it's literally like they're disappearing. Yeah. You cannot see them. He came out drunk and he'd made his own wine. Hey, I don't know how it happened, but I accidentally made a Merlot, which would be a stranger for this region. That's what very strange. Very bizarre. Almost so bizarre it belonged in a magazine. Who knows what other name would be? Merlot. Yeah, it sounds better. So Captain Cook, Captain Williams, and Tracy Coleman were then interviewed by reporters in Rome. Cook said Raphael had told him he was going to go into the woods and wouldn't stay there until someone came to catch him. Hmm. So they, they keep asking Cook questions, which are, which are legitimate, normal questions about what happened and what went down about the hijacking, all important questions. And then they turn to Tracy. And the first question to Tracy is, quote, did you serve the hijacker with drinks during the flight? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just Hey, not. we got the, well, it's a, a woman here. Uh, what you give him? Like a pie, a coffee? Did uh, you hold know on, Hold on a second. We need, we need a way for a translator. None of us speak a woman. <laughs> Did you get the, the big doughy eyes and a fall in love? Hello, I'll come in. I speak a little bit of woman American. Hey, you got a little brain? You understand how easy it is to manipulate you? So police start searching the area where he ran away. They search for five hours. There's hundreds of cops. There's police dogs. There's helicopters. They find his gun and ammo in a deserted farmhouse, but they still can't find him. Uh, Also, it's All Saints Day. So a local church, the Sanctuary of Divine Love, is packed for mass. They're all very well dressed. Except there's a dude in a vest and camouflage military clothes hanging out in front hmm. who sort of sticks out a little bit. Sure. The, the priest sees him and he, he calls the police and he's, and he tells him that he saw this guy. So nearby a cop sees Raphael running on a hillside. Um, another cop takes Raphael down with a flying tackle. Now Raphael can't believe it. When he's being arrested, he said, quote, Paisa, procure me arresta, which means, my people, why are you arresting me? Yeah. Which you kind of get. Like, I, <laughs> I got a home. Yeah. I made it a home. Yeah. I'm supposed to be a free now. I'm on a ghoul. Uh, so he's taken to the Rome police station and interrogated. Now, the Associated Press describes the interrogation. Quote, the questioning of a miniaccello was light, almost friendly, and at times laughter could be heard in the room where detectives carried out the interrogation. That's a good one. The police called him by his first name, and after questioning him for two hours, the police let him talk to reporters. We're going to let him hijack one or more plane. (laughs) This guy is very charming. you got to be in a room with him for a little while. Yeah, we had a couple of wins, which is a whiskey and a gin. No, he's a good guy. He's a great he took a guy. plane. It's so what? He's a great he guy. Hurt he, feels- the, he hurt the no one. And he feels a terrible. So uh, Raphael acted like he didn't know what reporters are talking about when they questioned him. He's like, what hijacking? When they asked why he came to Italy, he's like, is this Italy? Like, he's just uh, totally just like. So he's like, I never thought about this part. <laughs> so 
Chief Detective Palmieri told reporters that he thought Rafael hijacked the plane as, quote, a rebellion against the Marines and against American society. He wanted to get away from America because he was about to be tried. He did not have faith in U.S. justice. Justice is hard in America. Here it goes much easier, and he has faith in us. He is just a boy, a child. Uh, look at this little guy here. He's just a little fella. What do you want to do? Put him in a jail? Okay, okay. Put now everybody, everybody's got a lot of questions. But first, before we start, this guy's not going to be able to answer a lot of your questions, okay? Because this is a legal baby, okay? <laughs> this man is illegally under two years old, okay? He uh, make a, he have a big uh, make-make in his die-die, okay? So he got to get changed. So if you're going to have a question... Uh, please ask him with a rattle. Shake the rattle at him when you ask the question. Okay? And if he's not looking at you, shake your keys and say, goo goo gaga, you little baby. I want to ask you something because, again, this guy is a very adorable. He's a very baby. He's a very cute baby. And he's a Maya baby. Okay? I'm adopting this baby. Okay? So now, in the time that you have allowed me to speak, this baby is my baby. Okay? This is my son. His name is Raphael. He would never do anything like that. He's too little. He's going to be going to preschool in about two weeks. Okay, he started preschool. A little baby. He can crawl a little bit. His head, not st- his neck is not strong enough to support his head yet. So when he's not looking at you and he looking at a little googly eye, it's because his neck is not having the muscle to keep the head up. Okay? Thank you. Now, excuse me. I'm going to let him nurse on me while you talk to him. Okay? So if you don't answer your question, it's because he's a nursing on me. Okay? There you go. Get your lip on there. There you go. All right, yeah. He wanted to go to Naples, but he's going to Nipples, okay? All right, there it is. Yeah, that's a nice. <laughs> so, meanwhile, the U.S. Is, is charging him with air piracy, kidnapping, and they want him extradited immediately. Of course. Now, his father, Luigi, wow. had returned from the U.S. and was now living in Naples, and he had terminal cancer. Okay. So he comes to Rome to see Raphael. The AP says when Luigi gets to Rome, he is greeted by people in the city like he is a celebrity. Okay. And Luigi says about Raphael, quote, the war must have provoked a state of shock in his mind. Before that, he was always sane. And then Luigi said he would clip Raphael around the ear the next time he saw him. And that's what he got sentenced to. Six clippings. And what are you, a wise guy? What are you, crazy? What is wrong with you? Why do you do that? Why do you do that? All right, it's okay, come here. Yeah, yeah, he's a got enough. Uh, he, he got his punishment. Yeah. yeah. So the phrase, Paisa, me arresti, is going viral. Which is, is, why are you arresting me? I'm, uh, this is my home? What is it again? It is... Uh, my people, why are you arresting me? Right. Okay. So it's just, it's the phrase, right? It's all over, it's all over Italy. Raphael gave an interview and this time he explained his reasons. Turns out that missing $200 was the difference between flying to see his dying father and not being able to afford to fly to see his dying father. Oh, shit. And now wow. he's very quickly become a folk hero overnight in Italy. He's super good looking. He's an Italian kid who just wanted to return to the homeland. 
And then women are super into his movie star looks. All righty. One 17-year-old girl told a reporter he was as good-looking as the biggest Italian film star, except Raphael actually did the action himself. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, let's uh, easy does it, 17. Let's let's the brakes <laughs> a little bit. So, but there's tons of women like this. Under under pressure from the public, the Italian authorities announced that they're refusing to extradite him to the U.S. Which, and they, by the could, way, they did by releasing some smoke from a chimney. <laughs> but he could get the death penalty for for air piracy and kidnapping. Yeah, right, so yeah. um, they said they would try him in Italian court. Nick's administration is really upset, and they're worried that all the love he's getting was going to lead to a copycat. That's right. I'm the law and order president. We can't have a copycat. And it didn't take long. In Ohio, 14-year-old David Booth ditched school on November 10th and took a bus to Greater Cincinnati Airport. There he pulled a knife on an 18-year-old girl and said, quote, you're going with me to Sweden. Uh. He took her through the terminal with a knife at her throat, and they boarded a Delta DC-9, which what? is absolutely not capable of flying to Sweden. But what kind of airport are now boarding passengers who are holding women hostages with knives? <laughs> How does that happen? They're like, we don't want to bother him. Uh, he ordered the pilots to take off for Sweden, and they're like, yeah, this plane won't go to Sweden, so they don't do it. And then he eventually gets talked into surrendering as the plane sat on the Fine, plane. I'll go back to school. Ah! The U.N. released a statement saying it was deeply concerned about international flights and voted to call for every country to pass air piracy laws. Now, Italy did not have an air piracy law, so he wasn't going to be clear for that. In the 18 days after the resolution was passed, another six planes were hijacked. So it's literally a thing. Yeah, it's it. What the FBI would... What the FBI was worried about was actually a thing. Right. Um, at the trial, his lawyer but also said Raphael the, was... The FBI probably helped make it a thing a little bit, right? Because I always think that when they blow the crime, like when they... They can sometimes advertise the crime. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what they did made it a bigger story. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so at the trial, his lawyer said he portrayed Raphael as a victim... Uh, a poor Italian victim of a terrible foreign war, quote, a civilization which overwhelmed this uncultured pe- peasant. Uh, public buys it. They're all in. Because the stories of what America is doing in Vietnam are fucking horrifying. So he he uses that. Um, he gets acquitted of all crimes except weapons possession. And for that, he is given seven and a half years. Wow. He appeals. And the sentence is reduced. And on May 1st, 1971, Raphael walked out of prison a free man after one and a half years. So he's just man. 21 years old. Man. So he comes out of prison. He's, he's, in a, he's in a brown suit. His hair's longer. Uh, there's a crowd of photographers and cameramen and reporters and people. And one of the reporters asked Raphael if he's sorry for what he did. And Raphael smiles and says, quote, why should I be? Uh, talk about another catchphrase. Offers roll in. Offers? Uh, gets an offer to be a nude model, which uh, doesn't, 
doesn't take off. He gets a contract to be in a spaghetti western. Of course. Oh, I, no, I'm afraid. I, I, unfortunately, I probably eat it. <laughs> that doesn't pay off. The guy who made Dr. Shivago offers to make a movie about his life called uh, Paisa Perché Mi Arresti. But that doesn't happen either. So when the movie, so nothing comes of any of this, and he just starts living his life. When the movie Rambo comes out, rumors are all over Italy that Rambo is based on Raphael. The original name was Raphaelbo. <laughs> but the guy who wrote Rambo is like, no, no, it's not. Raphael ended up working as a bartender, and he married the bar owner's daughter, uh, who he had known since they were kids. He kind of grew up with her. Uh, Sinza. So he and Sinza had one son. And then Raphael opened up his own pizza place, which he named Hijacking. Oh, my God. What? What? <laughs> well, I mean, they really, they really have Italianed the attitude of the hijacking. Uh, but how did he not name it? Uh, Perché mi arresti? Like, how yeah, right. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> After 18, uh, 18 years after the earthquake had destroyed his village, another one hit the exact same area. It was a 6.9, really Jeez. bad, tons of buildings destroyed. Raphael was uh, one of a lot of Italians who went up there to distribute aid on their own. And then people recognized him. Uh, he ended up being interviewed by People magazine. Quote, I mistrust institutions, so I give help personally. I know all about people who don't keep their promises. He also said he had changed. I'm very different now to who I was. I'm sorry for what I did to those people on the plane. In February 1985, Sinza got pregnant again, but she went into labor and her and the child died. Oh, no. It turned out due, uh, it happened due to medical malpractice. The doctors fucked up. So Raphael is furious and he came up with a plan. Oh, no. He decided to attack a medical conference that was being held just outside of Rome. And he was going to do that to draw attention to the negligence that killed his wife and son. Quote, I decided to carry on my own battle to change the course of medicine. I called this the project. I was convinced that the only way to change things was to use force. Well, to be fair... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so he bought guns. Oh dear! And he carefully planned an attack. Ugh. So he's just going to go in and fucking massacre this conference. Don't gild the lily, dude. You got away. So at the same time, as he was planning all this stuff, he made a new friend, a young guy named Tony. Tony was a Christian, and he kept giving Raphael Bibles and having him read passages out loud. And then one day, Raphael read a passage from the Gospel of Luke, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And he said, once he read that, it changed him. Wow. And he decided to follow God and to not attack the medical conference. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, this is like, I mean, Yeah. <laughs> You know what? Uh, I'm not going to kill about uh, 25 of people. I'm just going to sit here and read them a Bible. Wow. Uh, this is a good book. <laughs> uh, in 1999, Raphael found out there were no outstanding criminal charges against him in the U.S. He, uh, so 
he decided to return to the U.S. <laughs> Amazing. Hey, I'm a back. Uh, uh, it's called I'm a high backing. His ex-soldier buddies had been fighting for years to get his other than dis other than honorable discharge changed to honorable or general discharge. They argued he deserved it for what he had done in Vietnam. So he asked them to do something else before he came. He wanted his old buddies to find the people he had held as hostages. So he could apologize to them. Get out of here. So boy, talk about an invitation. You're like, ah, I'm good. Uh, so Charlene was still a flight attendant. She, she was a flight attendant for 35 years before she retired. So she, she kept going as flight attendant and one of his platoon members reached out and she was like, yeah, at first she was like, no. And she's like, why not? I mean, what's the harm? Yeah. So in August, 2009, she drove to Branson, Missouri, where the platoon was having a reunion. I like how she has to drive. I know. So also Wenzel Williams went too. She probably didn't and want to fly. Those only two from everybody. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. So those are the only two who went to meet him. And, and around this time in 2009, he was also diagnosed with PTSD. In 1999. 2009. 2009. Oh, geez, that took so long. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Captain Cook refused, and that really hurt Raphael. He really thought they had bonded. <laughs> yeah. Man, you think you know a hostage. Uh, so the two hostages listened to Raphael. Charlene said, at first it was tense and, and not great, but then they talked and it was better. And Charlene said after listening to him, she actually felt sorry for him. And then at the end of their meeting, he gave them both a copy of the First Amendment. In it, Inside, he had written a note, quote, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they were like, sorry, this is about you. <laughs> when asked in 2013 if Rambo was based on him, Raphael said, quote, yes, it's true. Yes, of course. It's obvious. <laughs> Look at it. And name a one difference. One difference between me and John Rambo, who I like to call Raphael Bo. <laughs> Some feats that both an I and other Marines did during the Vietnam War were taken as inspiration. Uh, Raphael's still alive. He has a YouTube channel which is dedicated to accordion. Music. What? What, Dave? What? What? What a story! Holy shit! That is an amazing story. Yeah. That is an really amazing is. story. And the truth is that if only we could weigh motivations into crimes and let that somehow factor into our ju judicial process because well it always should always and and you yeah. cannot truly you just i mean this is what chickens come home to roost this is what happens and so you cannot fuck people all i mean we're like i mean th this is just the solo fucking right now the country's in the gangbang that won't end you know but well, no. You just, it's just like, it's not that you're just, not that you're saying what he did was justifiable, but people have breaking points and yeah. this is that. I mean, this is what happens when you push them. It's like, you know, it's not some lunatic in a hotel room is like the lamp's talking to me. This is a guy right. who is just like, my fucking dad is dying. 
you screwed me out of the $200 that would have gotten me to see my dying father. So if the system fucks me, I'll fuck the system. And he just fought in a war for that country. So, you know, it's, you know, um, so sources, the BBC, TWA 85, the world's longest and most spectacular hijacking by Roland Hughes, Rafael Miniacello, interview with the author of the longest internet, intercontinental airjacking in history by Enrico. They shouldn't Ferdinand. call it airjacking. That sounds like when you masturbate in the bathroom when you're on a plane. That's right. Uh, this heartthrob Marine became an Italian folk hero because of an airplane hijacking and, uh, and then some newspapers. What, and then what's his la- How do you spell his last name? M-I-N-I-C-H-I-E-L-L-O. Uh, and then a book, The Skies Belong to Us, Love and Terror in the Golden Age of Hijacking by Brendan Korn. Oh, dude. He looks like he could be on TV in that era. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's some pictures you're like, Jesus. But yeah, of course. Well, let's see what he looks like now. I love this. This is my favorite. I can't. Oh, I just can tell which one he is. He's got a Mariner's shirt on. <laughs> no, isn't he the other one on the other end? I think he's the one on the other end. No, I think he's the guy with the Mariner's shirt. That's oh, is him he? on the right. Yeah. Got a nice head of hair. Um, wow, man. That is quite a story. That really is quite a story. Mm. It's also so strange to just think of the era. Like when you think about what it takes to get on a plane now, yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, I remember as a kid, like how it, you could go or or not even as a kid. I mean, but you know, for a while, like you could, anybody could walk you to the gate and say goodbye. And you know, it was just a much more fluid and simple process. I also remember when they came up with the Scantrons where you have to go in that machine and they were unveiling them and Janet Napolitano who uh, was the, like the Homeland Security or something like that, she would not step inside of one of those. When they were like, Janet, do you true? want to show people? And she was like, I'm good. Yeah. It really? Something like that, yeah. But again, That's Dave, really most of my right. facts come from my gut. So <laughs> keep that in mind. That's just a gut instinct. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, is quite a story, it. dude. There you go. We did it. We signed planes. We did it. We do? Okay. Yeah, we signed planes. That's right. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this this podcast. Uh, Listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it. After it. Let's see you there. 
Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 